is it you think you see? Do you know how much I make a year? I mean, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Do you know what would happen if I suddenly decided to stop going into work? A business big enough that it could be listed on the NASDAQ goes belly up. Disappears. It ceases to exist without me. No, you clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Greetings, mortals, and welcome to a podcast but evil. I'm Doug Leaf. I'm Dan Oster. And this week we are talking about one Walter H. White, the villain slash also protagonist from Breaking Bad, our first anti-hero. Yes, the uh, one who knocks. His middle initial is H? Yes, it's H. Hartwell is his middle huh. name. Ah, you say, as always, Doug, a font of knowledge. Just like Jesus Hartwell Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're learning things left and right. Yes, I am very excited today because this is a, a landmark podcast for us in a number of ways. It's our first podcast with four people. We have two guests today, and they both happen to be former roommates of mine, in case you're wondering how hard I work to produce this show. Uh, so first off, I'd like to introduce our resident Breaking Bad superfan, an old friend of mine going way back. I know him from improv. He happens to be a high school chemistry teacher, possibly also a meth dealer. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Darren Landing to the podcast. Hello. I only cook. I don't deal. Oh, good. Walter White doesn't handle the dealing. And then our other guest has an IMDb credit list that is infuriatingly long. <laughs> you know him from NCIS, Mom. You can see him currently on Bob Loves Abishola. He's on TV a lot, and every time he is, my mom makes sure I know about it. <laughs> uh, he's been in the movie Brightburn. He's even in video games, the Final Fantasy VII remake. But the reason he's here is you might know him best as one of Jesse Pinkman's stoner buddies and the co-founder of the band Twat Hammer. I'm very pleased to welcome Badger from Breaking Bad, Matt Jones. Hi. Hi, Dan. <laughs> Hi, Doug. Hello. Yeah. It's good to see you. Good to see you guys. I mean, over the computer during the end of the world. Yeah, this is personal connection. This is what counts as personal connection now. So obviously, uh, we wanted to start with a spoiler alert. There's really yeah. no way to do this character without spoiling stuff. Right, Doug? <laughs> Yeah, we normally treat this podcast as kind of a, a survey course where if you know the villain of the week, then hopefully you'll enjoy going a little deeper. And if you don't know it, it'll be really fun as an introduction. But Breaking Bad is all about the kind of the many details and twists and turns as Walter White transitions from a, a milquetoast high school chemistry teacher to an all-out drug kingpin. And those twists and turns are what make it so much fun. And there's no way we can do this podcast without revealing those things. Right. So, so if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, turn off this podcast, go watch it. We'll wait, come back, and then we'll start. Okay. So that is our requisite spoiler alert for this show. They can just pause it, though. They can just yeah, pause, pause the podcast. podcast. Just leave it paused, go yeah. finish the show, and come back. Um, also, didn't it? It ended a long time ago. I don't think that's a long time. When did it end? You would know. 2013. Well, it never really ended until El Camino. That's yeah. really when it ended. So, <laughs> <laughs> and we should say, well, we will be talking. I think we'll be talking about El Camino as well at some point. So we're just going to assume that the audience is familiarity with all sixty-two episodes of the show, uh, as well as the El Camino uh, coda. Movie. Yeah, but if you haven't so. seen Better Call Saul, it's okay. Don't worry, you can listen. Yeah. 
all right. How do you want to kick this off, Doug? We sort of talked about the best way to get in. Yeah, I think, you know, usually when we have guests on, we like to talk about their personal relationship to the character. So I'll start with Darren, because Matt, you've got the IMDb credit of being on the show. So, um, Darren, I'm curious, what brought you to Breaking Bad? Was it just the fact that we were friends with Matt and and he was on it? Or or did you find out about it some other way? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I heard Matt was on it. I was in a um, I was in a Ralph's, the Ralph's at Western and Hollywood. And some guy came up to me and was like, oh, my God, it's you. It's you from Breaking Bad. And I was like, no, 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 that's uh, that's. He's a friend of mine, though. And I was like, why, why does he think that I'm Matt Jones? That's I don't, We don't look alike. And then I realized it was Aaron Paul. Um, not mistaking me for Matt, but... Yeah, was it was Aaron Paul who thought you were on the show. <laughs> yeah. That was Aaron Paul. He was... You guys are real place. close, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then I was like, I guess I'll check it out because some guy mistook me for Matt. I gotta see. I gotta see that what character he's playing. What an interesting was, guerrilla yes, marketing right campaign. Away. I mean, I, uh, Darren, if it helps, I can tell you that you're taller than Aaron Paul. Oh, thank God! Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> that does help. And I was drawn in immediately because I think I've always feared that my ego would eventually bring me down, and that's pretty much what I at first saw as being uh, Walter White's biggest flaw. I don't know if I feel that way now, but uh, yeah, I really, really, really connected to his desire to, I guess, be seen and heard and not feel so impotent. We're supposed to talk about this sort of stuff on the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, metaphorically? It's just or... on the internet. There's no way for anyone to hear it. So also, Yikes. Doug, fact check. Is Walter White impotent? <laughs> <laughs> He's got two kids, so and one of them is a baby, so he can't. Well, be that we'll ask Matt later. Was that Brian Cranston's actor's secret? Um, <laughs> Darren, was Matt Jones being on the show a barrier for you to enjoy it? Is uh, is that a real question? No, it's not a real question. Uh, <laughs> all right, great, and uh, yeah, Matt. When, I guess I'm curious about. There's just so much I want to know about this experience. But how much of character analysis would you have to do for someone like Walter White? Being on that show. What's the question? Well, I mean, like you obviously Badger. You know, you had yeah. to think a lot about Badger. But did you did you think much about like Jesse and Walter and that stuff? Is that not, or is it more about Badger's world? You were. Most- I mean, to be honest, I didn't think about anything. Okay. I, I really, I the, the whole point of the character was to never think about anything <laughs> except the thing that was happening at that moment. If you overthought it at all, then you're not one of those guys. You know what I mean? Totally. The, for me, it was the kind of guys I grew up with in San Bernardino County, east of L.A. Like, um, they literally don't think about anything other than what's happening at that moment. Yeah. When you were on set, like, did you kind of stay in that headspace? <laughs> no, no, not at all. And neither did Brian. One of my favorite stories on that was, like, we we're at craft service. And Brian is a really funny guy. He likes to make fun of me as well. And he was just fucking with me at craft service and just kind of making fun of me. And he's like, oh, and then someone walked over. He's like, Brian, we're ready for you. He's like, okay. And he walks over and he does that scene where he's like, it wasn't the I'm the one who knocks. It's the other one. And it's a major scene with him and Skylar in the bedroom. And he's like, a tear falls out of his eye while he's yelling. And it's this whole thing. And two minutes, like not even two minutes before, because they had moved into a close on him. He was making fun of me. Like, he didn't stay in character either. Like, he's an actor. He's like, well, if really that was the at- secret to being a great actor, I should be fucking <laughs> Lawrence <laughs> Olivier. No, he's just, I, I don't know. The whole Daniel Day Lewis of it all, I, I don't yeah. know. That's not everybody's method. 
And I think that method's a little annoying to be around. Vince Gilligan originally wanted to cast Daniel Day-Lewis, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's funny you mentioned <laughs> sure. Olivier, Dan, uh, because there's actually a story about Olivier encountering some method actor. It might have been Brando. It was and, actually and Dustin Hoffman, former uh, Universal Studios tour guide here. I think I might have told that story once or twice. Yeah, you? it was Dustin Hoffman, yeah. But isn't the story that he was doing some method thing and Lawrence Olivier just kind of smacked him down? It's like, well, why don't you just try acting instead? Yeah, this was yeah. Uh, for Marathon Man, because that was the scene where he was torturing Dustin Hoffman, and so he had been out like all weekend and hadn't slept and, you know, was just running around and got himself all ragged and then you know he shows up like that and that was the that was the sick diss yeah i think the whole method thing had kind of spawned off of like weird 70s psychedelic acting studios in new york and london and i find it annoying (laughs) well matt i had a question for you kind of a personal question about your relationship to the character of walter white in that you know your first few scenes on the show are not with walter you're usually Hmm. paired up with jesse and maybe other characters so it's a little while before you actually have a face-to-face with him. We first meet in the Atomic Museum. Right. Because uh, we had heard lore of this guy called Heisenberg. And so the first time we met, he already had a reputation and we were supposed to be afraid of him. And I was going to ask you more as an actor, when you go in to shoot your first scene with Brian Cranston, what did that feel like for you to actually just walk in and now all of a sudden this character that you've been hearing about by working on the show, now Walter White's actually standing in front of you? Honestly, not that different. Like, it wasn't a big deal. I, I don't know. I'm learning so much about your process. <laughs> no. <laughs> the, the weird thing about, like, that show in particular was the first season, besides, I don't know, The Sopranos, Six Feet Under, a handful of shows on HBO, there hadn't been, like, a really successful cable drama yet when that show started getting shot. When I shot my first episode in 2007, Mad Men had just come out. And I auditioned for a guest star on AMC, who apparently makes TV now, because they didn't, besides Mad Men, which was an anomaly in itself. So we didn't know what was going on. And it was like, the guy from Malcolm in the Middle and the guy who was the (laughs) dentist on Seinfeld, apparently he deals (laughs) meth in the desert. And it sounded kind of funny to me. And then I read the script and I was only given my scenes for my audition. My one scene, the scene where we're smoking weed after he catches me spinning a sign. We're smoking weed in an alleyway. That's all I auditioned with was one scene on tape. And I played it funny because I thought it was funny. And Vince later told me that he didn't really, the Badger Skinny Pete thing happened after both of us were cast. And then like it all happened over time that it became a funny thing. But it wasn't planning on being. I was actually supposed to introduce Walter White to Tuco. I was supposed to introduce them, but they decided that my character was too likable and lovable to know someone like Tuco. Uh So instead they had Skinny Pete introduce him. So I guess my point is by the time we had gotten to season two, the show was canceled after seven episodes in the first season because of the writer's strike. So we didn't even know season two was going to happen. Nobody watched season one. The fact that we were even doing a season two is pretty amazing everybody on the show we knew the show was good but nobody else did and it was not famous it was not a thing the show almost got canceled every season until season four the show got put on netflix after the first three seasons it became a supernova after that but before that it was on the verge of getting canceled every year 
See, so, I knew that as a show that my friend Matt was on, so I was on the ground floor. Yeah. I was, I was a cool Thank guy you. who knew about this show from the beginning, and that was the only reason. I was like, oh, Matt's on this show. I'm going to watch it. I was like, this show's amazing. And also, Matt's a good actor? Oh, uh, stop. <laughs> I'm not. Like, I mean, I'm clearly not. Um, no, no, not, but, true. Uh, not true, Matt. If I could enjoy Badger, you are an amazing actor. Truly. Damn, I, wanted to say I appreciate that. that from you. You, you know it. No you know it's true. But the crazy thing is, by the time we got into season two, it still wasn't a thing. So, like, I shot my first scene with Heisenberg uh, or Walter White with Brian, and it was like, I already knew Brian. And we knew we were all in the show that nobody gave a shit about. And we loved it, and we hope it's something. And then after season two, then the show started getting a little bit of recognition, a couple of Emmy nods. You know who actually doesn't get the credit? Who was one of the saviors of Breaking Bad? Was Stephen King. After season one, Stephen King wrote this op-ed for Entertainment Weekly talking about how it's the greatest show on television that nobody's watching. And he wrote a bunch of articles about our show. And Stephen King was weirdly kind of, uh, I don't know, the vanguard of the show. Huh. Yeah. Not a lot of people know that. No. These are the kinds of trivia that you find only on podcasts, <laughs> but evil. Uh, so here's the thing. We usually kick off in the podcast where we do a thing because I'm an idiot and I just kind of talk about what I know about the character without any studying. But Darren, if you can put yourself into the mind of an idiot for a second and just give us like a quick <laughs> overview. Or the body of an idiot. We'll take well, it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that you could give us a lot of detail, but like, you know, just to kind of refresh our memory about Walter White. What are the basics that we should know before we go a little more in depth? I think the basics you should know is that his entire sense of self-worth all existed in that little mustache he had in season one. Great. I'm and, glad I came to you for that. <laughs> no, I'm, but I, I mean that is like, I, I think that's supposed to be kind of a, a symbol of one thing he had control over in his life because he, he was partners with uh, Gretchen Elliott, right? Gray Matter, was the company that they they had founded and he felt slighted somehow like that they had cheated him out of a bunch of money and i think that he probably didn't see his own agency in his decisions to take the path of becoming a high school chemistry teacher and i think that the i don't know it's one of the first episodes i don't know if it's the pilot where he's talking to his class talking about how chemistry is the study of change and Vince Gilligan's taken us all on this kind of journey of seeing this character change from a pathetic high school teacher to a drug kingpin and all of the decisions. Like, how? what are the steps that happen along the way? And, and, and when do, what does he compromise as he goes? And for me, along that journey, I like to, and you guys might be planning on talking about this anyway, I like to ask people, like, when do you feel like Walter White became a bad guy like what was the moment where he didn't seem redeemable to you because he starts out as the protagonist and then becomes i don't know an anti-hero i mean what's what's the correct literary term i, well, mean, I think that's yeah. what makes this character notable on our podcast this is probably the first villain because i think he qualifies as a villain he may be an anti-hero he may be a number of things but he qualifies also for the villain moniker but this is probably the first one we've got where you really get to see the origin laid out in a way that is so intricate you know we talk about dracula you know he's dracula when dracula starts so this is really what makes walter white 
one of the unique figures in fiction. And I think it's a a realistic portrayal of someone becoming evil in that we've done villains that are comic book types where they have one bad day or one tragedy or one lab accident, you know. um, (laughs) All of Spider-Man's rogues gallery is just like lab accident. Right. It's one thing just immediately. That's it. They snap. The social contract is broken and they're going to do evil. There was Um, no there was the scene, though, where Walter fell into the vat of methylamine and he came out wearing the black hat. um, And then he said, wait, did they get a load of me? Ah, I love it. (laughs) I would argue that I don't think Walter White became a villain until the last second of the show. When he was very last second. (laughs) Until he was dying. Okay. You know what I mean? I'd like to hear that. So this was Darren's question. So when did you decide? Well, I mean, it's a philosophical thing to talk about, but it's, is finding your purpose in life make you a bad guy, even if that purpose is wrong? If you're a soldier for a fucking, some military somewhere around the world and you're killing people all the time for some idea of country, you're killing people all the time. Walter White killed a lot less people than some soldiers do on a daily basis. So I don't know if he's a villain until he recognizes that he is, he enjoys it. And that moment where he actually is like, this was my purpose and it was wrong and I loved it. That's the look on his face as he dies. That's what I think. I think that's a really good answer. It's one I would not have expected. It's only the latest possible moment in the show. Yeah. What I like about it is No, it's when he gets to heaven. And, <laughs> and he's told Peter asks, sorry. And God's like, yeah. what have you sorry. done? Sorry. And he says, I did it. a child. Sorry, you're out. He says, I did it for me. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. Right, I did it for me. So he starts out thinking he's doing it for altruistic reasons. And I guess Matt's saying, you know, villainy maybe comes with self-discovery, introspection, realizing that, like, he was doing it for the wrong reason. That's an interesting... Uh, because, answer. like, yeah, he poisoned a child, but he poisoned a child for a greater purpose. And how many children have we as Americans killed overseas for a greater purpose? Think about it. I mean, me personally, none. But I get what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, we've killed more than one Brock. Matt, are you an anti-masker? Oh, boy. You know, look at this. My my T-shirt says everything is Everything is terrible, it says. You know, but I think there is something to what you're saying, Matt. I think there's a difference between where does he actually become a villain versus where do I, as an audience member, get off the train and go, you know what? I can't. You've gone too far. I can't root for you anymore. And that is exactly what I'm talking about, because that's the moment where you're like, at the very end, you're like, oh, wait, fuck. He really liked doing like. He loves that he's dying surrounded by his meth. Hmm. Like he he seems happy as he dies. That he is like a purpose fulfilled. I don't know. That's my Well, opinion. let me if I can challenge it for one second. I've used at least on this podcast the definition of villainy as being an abuse of power, using power to hurt, you know, rather So than when help. did Trump become a villain, Dan? <laughs> oh, he, Matt brought up Trump. <laughs> Finally, it's yeah. it's hard not to think about it. Come on, we're every time this. I know, no, it doesn't matter because what. there's an argument to say maybe he wasn't a villain yet when he did Home Alone two. You know what I mean? <laughs> I thought that was when he became a villain. <laughs> that was uh, the he moment was, that Trump... uh, he was not treating uh, people of color so well that were renting in his apartment. No, he in wasn't. The 70s, so, but I'm saying just because you've done a couple bad things does not make you a villain yet. I'm just well, saying, what, this is, he this still is had some altruistic ideals, or at least he appeared to, up until like uh, 15 years ago. Well, not to get too, because Trump is its own series. He's a monster. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, good. So we're, what I'm would gonna, Walter I'm gonna, White But I'm going to cut tweeting? that out, Matt. I'm going to edit you to sound <laughs> pro-Trump. Uh, so, yeah, I, but again, that's the definition I've been using, an abuse of power. It's interesting because Walter White starts without any power, right? He's powerless in his life. So I don't know. I don't know if that standard really works for Walter so well. Uh, right. I guess for me, I, I'll give the boring answer. Doug alluded to it already. Poisoning the kid. I, for yeah. me, that was when I was watching the show thinking this guy is a hero. I really like him. I hope he wins out. And then when that happened, I was like, oh, okay. I'm not supposed to want that. A really cool thing that I think the show does is it shows the manufacturing of an illusion of power. Because all of Walter White Heisenberg's power is like an illusion that you see him create. And then like that illusion is finally called out in that last second when they kill Hank. And then they take Jesse away and all that. And you're like, all the faking it and all the bullshit he's done for all this time didn't work. Yeah, I think like pretending you're a super rich guy when you're not. Well, I was really struck by that because I did a rewatch of the show not that long ago. And you think of him as like, you know, he's... He's so smart. He's always constantly kind of like thinking his way through these situations. And the more I watched it again, the more I realized like, no, he's really flying by the seat of his pants a lot of the time. And he's making a lot of problems for himself. And yeah, he comes out alive at the end of it because if he didn't, there wouldn't be a show. Right. Wait, but Doug, I you, think you need to watch the last episode. Well, okay, until the end. But <laughs> the point is, you know, he doesn't no, die no, he in halfway. It's not Game of Thrones. <laughs> they don't kill him in, you know, season two. But what they do is you pair him up with a villain like Gus Fring, and you watch Gus Fring, and what makes him stand out is Gus is actually very calculating. He's, yes. he's very calm, and he knows what he's doing, and he's built a stable empire, and Walt is this whirling dervish of chaos that comes in and fucks up everything they've all been that's been like again kind of in an equilibrium until he arrives and we're not allowed to bring up trump anymore (laughs) (laughs) i think i have a little bit of insight on part of the reason that is doug from listening to the breaking bad companion podcast that vince gilligan was on a lot because he talked a lot about like how in the writer's room they would basically pin walter into these situations and not know what they're going to do with, you know, how he was going to get out of it. Or they would plant these seeds. Like they didn't know what the gun was going to be used for when they introduced the gun in the beginning of season five. Uh, yeah. They didn't know what the ricin was going to be used for. And yeah, like the pink teddy bear. Vince just thought it looked cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, yeah. <laughs> and then that it becomes systematically ruining yeah. this show. Right, me. exactly. Uh, <laughs> and so I think a lot of Walter's genius is a reflection of the genius of these writers who are like, how can we get him out of this situation? Can I tell Um, you something really fun about the writers? Yeah. It was in Burbank, like in the shittiest mini mall. It was just this shitty fucking mini mall in Burbank on like Magnolia and like Hollywood way, somewhere around there. Basically where Saul works. Yeah, basically. And it was in like where you'd think a bad attorney's offices on the bottom floor, maybe four or five offices. And then upstairs was like another four or five offices, which was the Breaking Bad writer's room. And nobody knew about it. And it was there the whole time. And they let, we got to go there once. I went with Aaron after like season three. We sat at the table talking to Vince and the guys. And they were like, don't look at the walls around you. Don't look at the wall. And it was so hard because there's just... All of these cards of all these possible ideas. Um, and and one of them that I know I can say now, but they were gonna they were trying to find a way to kill baby Holly for the longest time. Yeah. 
and it never quite worked out. But that Probably was like a for thing the best. on their board. Well, in your like, interpretation of it as a comedy, I think it could have really worked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he Vince was like, a eat a bowl of spaghetti, and he dropped the base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, Vince talked about a, like a couple of dark ideas. Like one was Walter was tugging around this suitcase, and there was blood coming out of it, and Holly's body was in there. That's like yeah. the reveal. <laughs> uh, and the other one is. I think when uh, when Jesse was originally going to be killed early on, he was going to be killed by some Tuco-esque guy. Yeah. And after he's killed, Walter ends up catching the guy and getting him in his basement. Like, uh, was it Crazy Eights who was in there? And instead of killing him, he rigs up like a shotgun so that the guy can either starve or like pull a rope and kill himself. Oh, it's like a saw. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and then at some point, Walt Jr. comes in and goes downstairs. Oh, shit. And the guy, the guy realizes that, oh, this is this Kingpin's kid. And he, like, gets Walter Jr. to come near him and pulls the string and kills both of them. So oh, that wow. was one of the potential wow. demises of Dark. Walt Jr. Uh, dark shit. Do you know what's really... So Vince obviously has a very, very dark sense of humor and disposition in certain ways. But he's really this, like, colloquial, like, guy from Virginia and his... His wife, Holly, they're just super sweet and nice to be around. But Vince is super dark, right? He also loves comedy, like, a lot. And do you know what show he watched all the time? He watched Mad TV all the time. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I swear to God, he loved... Well, I promise he didn't watch my season. No, I, I don't know if he got that. <laughs> but he loved... He wanted to have Jordan and Keegan on the show. Oh, well, they ended he up wanted on to Fargo, have them on though. Breaking Bad, but this they was pre-Key and Peele. Do you remember he, when they were on Fargo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they ended up on an, an AMC show. Yeah. That's interesting because the Sklar brothers do show up in Better Call Saul, so I yeah. wonder oh, if no, that no. is... Yeah, oh, no, no, Bill Burr, like, right. he and, loves... And LaValle Crawford. Yes, Brian Cranston I, made I, a cameo on Breaking Bad. <laughs> no, but, like, uh, even, I was, like, yeah. uh, Bob Odenkirk, Vince knew him through comedy. Right, that, right. He was Actually, a that's a huge comedy fan. Right. It was also on Fargo. Anyway, yeah. uh, let, let's go well, back Fargo's to Fargo's FX, right? Oh, mm-hmm. shit. You're right. It is FX. Fair enough. I mean, right. it's Fa- the same. Fact check it's, me in real time, will you? Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it's actually never come up on the podcast, but I was on Mad TV in the 13th season, right in the right towards the end there. That was in so, 13 uh, seasons? It had 14. Oh, yeah. wow. That new one was rough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it turned yeah, into McGruff's a tie-in because the writer strike season... Yeah, the right. Strike affected well, when you were talking about shows. the writer strike, yeah, I remember uh, that was the season that I was on where there was a writer strike. It was a lot of fun for uh, a young guy on TV for the first time. But I, I want to go back to uh, Darren's question. And I want to put it to Doug mm. and Darren because we heard from Matt and myself. But when did you guys jump ship with Walter? Probably, you know, I, I definitely started to question, you know, how I'm supposed to feel about this character with the death of Jane. At that moment in the show, Jane is Jesse Pinkman's girlfriend. She is blackmailing Walt, manipulating Jesse, getting him high on heroin. She is a liability. She's the and, Yoko. Yeah, she's a Yoko. <laughs> and Walt happens upon, you know, he, I forget why, but he shows up at their apartment and they are both passed out high on heroin. And she starts to choke on her own vomit. He could save her, but he thinks twice about it and, sa- and just lets her die. And thank God, you know the, Jesus. the show. <laughs> that when was you not Matt. Do a podcast I, about Matt. I know, yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. So 
you know, so that was early on. That was pretty. That was relatively early. That's the earliest answer so far. That's the. That's the. Well, I don't know if that's the point. I t- completely jump ship, but it's definitely the first. Like, oh shit, the show is trying to tell me don't necessarily root for this guy. Right, but he had to let her die because she was getting him hooked on heroin. He was protecting Jesse. There's probably an alternate way to solve that problem. (laughs) Well, I think it's defensible because it is a moment of weakness, right? He was right there. He had seconds to decide. He chose not to help. It was inaction. He chose inaction over action. So there's a lot of things you could say about it that are like, all right, well, you know, it could happen to a lot of people. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, but the thesis of the show is we're going to watch this guy change from good to bad, and what's neat about it is how it's incremental, right? It's not one decision. It is a series of choices over time that slowly sculpts him into who he becomes, but there are certain moments that are more dramatic than others along that road. And this is certainly one of the biggest, I think. Okay. As evidenced by the consequence, which is his unintended consequence of a plane crash that kills hundreds. And again, that's because her father, played by previous Q. Uh, Q. podcast, but evil villain Q. Q. Yeah, we did an episode on Q. He was so distraught over her death that he, uh, as an air traffic controller, wasn't paying attention and some planes crashed. Right? Two right. planes? Two planes crashed each other. That. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. And, and one I mean, of those planes had a pink teddy bear on it. Right. 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 But I, I think that's an important moment because I it, it's kind of this reminder that, like, you know, yes, you're making these decisions and you think you're only affecting the people around you, but you put evil out into the world and you start a line of dominoes falling that you don't think about. And yeah, you can't really lay those deaths at Walter White's feet, but you also can't ignore that, you know, he is disrupting the world around him in a negative way. It gets harder and harder for him to redeem himself as he makes these choices, you know, and that one to me was an easier one, right? Because it was early on and it was a mistake, but it paved the way for intentionally poisoning a child later. Right? So wait, I just want to, Doug, just to be clear. It wasn't bad because he let her die. It was bad because he then put evil out into the world. No, no, no. It's bad because he let her die. But the point is the show is trying sure. to say that, you know, he he in his mind, I think he looks at it as like I'm in control and I can keep the damage from, mm-hmm. certain, you know, I, I won't let my family get right. hurt no matter how many, you know, cartel weirdos I bring into my orbit. I'm sure my family will be fine. Oh, wait. Hank gets shot up, right? He keeps thinking, I can control, if I just tell enough lies and I make the right moves, then I won't put anybody I care about in harm's way. But in reality, he is putting people in harm's way all the time. I think that season he was still a baby horse on roller skates. You know what I mean? Like, didn't quite (laughs) know what he was doing. Was that the original idea? Yeah, it was horse on roller skates. (laughs) You can't make nearly as much money with that as you can with math, though. (laughs) Well, I think... But you know, by just, season you know, five, he's Tanya Harding. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> On roller skates. On roller skates. It's an important point that so much evil derives from a desire to control. That right. is definitely the definition of fascism, right? So Walter trying to control the world around him definitely paves the way for a lot of bad shit to happen. Well, Darren, Darren, Darren I'm kind of yeah. curious. Do you, are there any moments for you that are kind of stand out? It had to be when he killed beloved family man and benefactor of the police force Gus Fring that was <laughs> out of line were you doing a lot of stuff while you were watching this show did you have a phone in your hand <laughs> I like the two screen experience playing Marvel Puzzle Plus yeah. Yeah, um, the guy who do you know what uh, my favorite one of my favorite episodes was the Gus Fring back in Mexico 
mm. his relationship. That was like one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. I love that. Because Gus is a bigger villain than Walter during the run of the show, sure. as we are led to believe. But his like backstory, just like knowing more about the villain, I love that. Right. Yeah. I mean, the vulnerability I, there, the fact that he, you know, had a lost love. Yeah, yeah. it definitely gives him some dimension. Uh, yeah, and they throw a little more of that into Better Call Saul as well. They, they right. give you a little more of his back. But everything they give is still this, these tantalizing clues that show that just like Walt, his transition wasn't immediate from good to bad. There's still, we don't know all of the steps in the journey, but you can still see, again, it's a journey for all of those characters to get to where they're going. Uh, so, Dan, yeah. would you like a second chance to answer the question? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Your bit answer. Yeah, I think, so for me, it's like, and Matt touched upon this with like, for the run of the show, Gus Fring is more of a villain, right? And the reason is that Walter is our protagonist. And maybe for some people, they jump ship and go to Jesse. But like, I was still on board for so long and I'm kind oh. of ashamed that I just loved Walter White and I wanted him to redeem himself. Every time he's making those decisions, letting Jane die, poisoning Brock, trying to think of other stuff, like telling Hank that Marie got in a car accident to get Hank to leave him alone. There are all these things he does but all of them in my mind were like justifiable that like he just kind of it's the only way he saw out but it's when mike is trying to leave and walter's just angry and shoots him and yeah. kills mike like that for me was like no it's too, you damn it like why'd you do that <laughs> like yeah. right because that there was no argument that that was for anything other than to just hurt or kill this guy yeah cuz yeah, was- i think it was like he wanted some names right he wanted to contain all the people who had been part of a different drug ring or something, and he knew well, Mike it was had because names. Because of all the all the guys he had gotten killed in prison, Mike yeah. had set that up, and there were so many loose ends. It's a control. Think, he wants to control. Yeah, yeah. And he just he had so much momentum, the the damage that he was causing, that I didn't know how he was going to get in front of that damage and stop it. And he, you know, he doesn't see it until Hank dies in front of him. That like. I caused this. I did this. And the next two episodes are this like denouement. You're welcome. uh, Of like him trying to figure out how to redeem himself, I think. Well, yes, that's right. And it's a testament to how well this character was written Mm -hmm. and how well Brian Cranston played him that even after all that, even when I knew this guy was bad in those last two episodes, I was excited that he was kind of on top again. You know, he was going to save Jesse. He was going to make things right. He, he, you know, Badger was back (laughs) and things were going to be okay again. And I genuinely was excited. And it was to me the right ending because I think people, you know, people always complain who gives a shit, but you know, some people were complaining like, Oh, you know, here we are turning around and like, we like him again or something, but we always identified with the character, even when he was in a really bad place. Yeah. I also think that the finale does a lot to show that, you know, he's not getting off scot-free. He's not redeeming himself all the way. Hank's dead. Right. Skyler is in a bad place. He can't talk to his son. A lot of guilt. Yeah. We know at a certain point, the, the line gets crossed where the ending can only be a great sacrifice, right? There's no happy ending for this guy. You knew that. Well, yeah. he's, he's accepted what he can and cannot control. And so that's when he's no longer trying to overreach any also like the cancer that has been the underlying condition that just proves that he really didn't have all the power he thought he had is back and killing him anyway. So like he's 
clearly accepted that and he's just going to try to make good with what he can with what he has what he's capable of doing the cancers we're talking about i think i mean it's not original to say that you know the cancer metaphorically is him that he you know he is sending out this evil into the world that he's in, he's causing harm to people around him but Are what i like about it cancer victims hmm? for their own cancer yeah that's what i'm doing that's how i'm starting out <laughs> um but we've talked a lot about villains on this show who kind of the key to unlocking their villainy is something happens within them that they are able to unshackle themselves from morality. And whether that is just a kind of a nihilism where they just see other people as not human and therefore expendable. In this case, it's Walt being able to tell himself, I'll never have to really face consequences for what I do because I'll be dead by then. And I think one of the coolest moments in the show is when this cancer goes into remission and right. he's forced to reckon with Oh no, you know, I was counting on that. Now I'm still on this path and I I might live another 40 years and I got to deal with this. Yeah. That's when he uh, punches the uh, paper towel dispenser again. Right. Yeah. Before right. we uh, move on from this, I guess there were a couple of other points that I want to mention in terms of his journey to villainy. I think we alluded to it, killing the guys in prison, right? That's pretty- Godfather style, yeah. That's super dark. And uh, the kid in the desert, you know, Walter at that point is just thinking about disposing of the body. I mean, Jesse's wrecked by the experience and Walter's disposing of the body. He's literally whistling while he does it. Right. So those are a couple of other, I think, sort of key moments in this path to just total destruction. And it's another example of what we were talking about, which is, you know, he thinks he's got this train heist totally planned out from beginning to end and it's all perfect right until that kid shows up and his associate Todd just shoots him in the face. That's a kind of that same thing just like with the plane crash like he's you know you haven't thought through all of these angles. You haven't you know you just haven't reckoned with the fact that when you do something that evil you're inviting this. All right, so moving on from that, that's a pretty good chronology. I think we hit a lot of the main chapters here. I want to ask uh, Darren and Matt why do you think this character resonates? And I think will endure. I put this show on the same level that I would put Shakespeare. You know, I wouldn't do that lightly. I think this will endure. And I'm kind of curious why this character will endure. What does he tell us that we need to know as a society? Yeah, I'll, I'll weigh in. I mean, it's not just about what he's telling us because it's a warning, I think, about compromising who you are. Walter could have been a force for like good change in the world. And he made decisions that I think were a little bit against the nature he could have had. And so I see that there's agency in there for people to make better choices. And maybe that's naive of me. But also, I think one of the reasons he endures and one of the reasons that other shows have emulated almost this as a formula, like, oh, we got to ramp up and create this like good bad guy immediately is just the vessel that a Breaking Bad had in Brian Cranston because that show is so rewatchable. Like scenes, just rewatching those good scenes are incredible experiences. So like that performance, I think, just gives it a lot of power to endure. And uh, yeah, Matt, what strikes you about Walter White as like a character in fiction? I'll say the reason I love him is because I get really tired of the same boring good looking person that's like super cool and is the, you know, like I don't want my hero to be Tom Cruise or Jason Bourne or any of that. It's just boring to me. I can't get into superhero movies mainly because it's a lot of just good looking people flying around and uh, talking about how great they are. It's, it's not that interesting to me. Whereas Walter White is like, 
he's somebody's dorky dad. He's no offense, Darren, but he's somebody's dorky chemistry teacher. Like <laughs> soon to be dorky dad. <laughs> soon to be dorky dad. Uh, but you know what I mean? He's just like an everyman in so many ways. He drives an Aztec and he he wears the most bland clothing. Like they did that on purpose. And he's just this everyman who through tragedy or anger or whatever it is, takes control of his life. And I think that is something that everybody is super attracted to. Fuck the morality of it. This guy takes control of his life and changes the things that he didn't like. And yeah, that's, there's an amoral nature to yes. it that could go either direction. Yes. But you you're know, I, rooting for him to do good, but you're rooting for him to do bad. You just don't want him to feel useless like you feel. Yeah, no, I watched an interview with Brian Cranston where he talked about something right on that point where he said, you meet people who are on the surface, they're cordial and they're talking about whatever the mundane things in their life are, but you can see they're dead behind the eyes. Yes. Every day is a performance as a human being because secretly they're unfulfilled, their potential is wasted, and they'd just rather be somewhere else doing almost any other thing, and they can't because they've got this stack of obligations a mile high. Can and we change the I, subject? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's, I think everybody feels that way at some point. You know, they yeah. feel stagnant. And Walter White kind of speaks to that idea that if you were to just fucking go for it, you do have the power to change all those things. And then we just get to watch the, the, the choice that he makes is not one that most of us would make. You know, I think a lot of us would think of some other way to maybe pass our time than to commit felonies. But I think that aspect of the character is always going to be relatable. Well, like any great art, you could approach this a lot of different ways, which is, I think, why we all have sort of a different way in. And it all is true. I think when I look at Walter, we talk a lot about control here. And what I think is interesting is that, to me, at least where I am in my life right now, and if I watch this 10 years from now, I might get different things from it. But what I see in Walter is somebody who doesn't look at internal control. He looks at external control. He looks at the things around him that he can change. And yet his problems are internal. His hubris, his dissatisfaction, his inability to deal with the magnitude of his diagnosis. These are things that if he worked on, he wouldn't do all this stuff that causes all these dominoes to fall and hurt so many people. So his control is all external. It's all his villains are all around him. His problems are all outside of him. And I think that is an important lesson here, too. If this had been an inner journey, there would have been a lot less damage and probably a lot more contentment for the character. So that's what I pull from it, at least at this point in my life, as I learn about the things that I can't control. But a more boring show, as Matt pointed out. (laughs) A great book. A terrible show. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, while we still got Matt here, I do want to talk a little bit about Badger. Just partially because I think it's weird to bring you on and then not talk about your own character. So it sounds to me like a lot of it was just being in the moment with him, you know, and you're an improviser. So that makes a lot of sense. So you just, I mean, did you do a lot of work about, I don't know, backstory or that? Or was that just all bullshit? No, 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 no. no. Just guys you knew growing up. Yeah, yeah, people I knew growing up. I mean, over time, you think about these things. And I, I mean, there's an argument to be made that possibly Badger is bigger of a villain than than anyone. I, You know what I mean? Like, is <laughs> his own villain. Go on. Like, he represents the mundane. He represents the, um, uh, what do you call uh Dragging other evil. people down. He's the bad influence. Quote, yeah, he's quote. a bad influence. Me. That's why people be. call the show Breaking Badger. Yeah, that's what I call it. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> but like Skinny Pete and me sit around all day 
doing drugs, you know, whatever we can get our hands on, whatever money, playing video games, eating shitty food, and staying indoors. We don't even have any sex with women. Like, it's just, and I don't think it's a can we talk gay about or straight else? thing. It's just asexual, like, sloth. It's sloth. Like, if right. Walter White is pride, we are sloth. Good point. And we're just sitting around doing nothing. And me and Charles, uh, who plays Skinny Pete, we've talked about this a bunch. We're like, if one of us died or got killed, I think the other one would really succeed. Like, I think we're both <laughs> equally, like, really holding each other back. You're like binary stars just yeah, circling yeah. each other. That's yeah, it is. It's such real, a it's, it's, reference. It's such an unexamined life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess the answer is no. I wanted to ask you if it was hard to get back into the character for the movie. No, for the movie, it was more just like, I haven't seen these guys in forever. And it was like going back and hanging out. I mean, it was no different than going back and doing improv with an old group. You're just like, yeah, yeah everybody's a little bit different, but uh, kind of the same. And uh, it was weird. It was super when weird. When you said Badger was the greatest villain on the show, I suddenly just imagined him <laughs> no, as like no. the puppet master pulling the strings. You, know, you go and you do a rewatch, and all of a sudden it's the end of Wild Things. <laughs> you realize, oh my God. Actually, my favorite villain on Breaking Bad was Tuco, hands down. Oh, he was great. He was so scary. He's yeah. the scariest villain on the show. It's He's great just to like, see him come back and, um, well, not come back, but to see him yeah. reappear. But, like, he console. was so, to watch him and be around him, Raymond asked to get killed off on the show. He didn't want to do it anymore. Was it just exhausting? Because he was on The Closer at that time, and it was so exhausting doing that character. Yeah, well, God, Tuco is just, like, the unpredictability of being around somebody like that, right? The chaos. I mean, that, that is scary. That's mental illness. Yeah, that it's like shit. every woman I've ever been with. <laughs> I do that's the clip. I, that's the clip I'm going to pull out to promote this episode. <laughs> I do think the scene with Walter White in El Camino is actually really telling. Yeah. Um, when I remember when I was watching, I was like, well, of course, they're going to bring back Walt for something. And at first that scene was kind of like, gee, that, that's it. And then I watched it again and I thought, you know, what's interesting about it is it's just a scene with Jesse and Walt at a diner. But Walt says something to him. He says, you're lucky you didn't have to wait your whole life to do something special. Yeah. And that's like, that's how he views this. I'm doing something special. And yeah. from Jesse's point of view, kind of now in the future, flashing back to it, it's like the thing you thought was special was horror for everyone around you. And that's kind of Walter White's other sin is he's so oblivious to but that. But also like yeah, when but you're talking the about the, the structure of a film, that scene was Jesse's idea of a memory. That was Jesse's memory. So the one scene Jesse decides to go back and think about the one moment was something we didn't even see on the show. It was the moment where Walter thought he was doing something special. That's his purpose in life. That's and really Je relatable. And, and I mean, Jesse was like, that's not mine. These moments in your life that you remember over and over again, they're never the big ones, are they? There's like these little things that you encounter, these little conversations you have that stick with you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm going to remember this moment, guys. <laughs> you don't have well, to. We're recording it. Why are you ending the podcast? We have a couple more things to do. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our final segments. We have some set segments we like to do. You guys uh, have been great. I don't want to waste your time. We're going to jump to the alignment here. We like to talk about the villain alignment. This is the Dungeons and Dragons alignment. Are you familiar with this, Matt? Sure. Okay. So we've got lawful evil, neutral evil, and chaotic evil. Tuco chaotic evil yeah i think but walter white where does he sit darren think, go or, or matt go ahead 
No, no, I think it was lawful and moved into neutral by the end of the show. So he was playing by the rules to a point. Yeah. I'll agree with Matt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I mean, he over the, course of the, over the course of the show, he definitely hits all three at some point. Yeah. So it's a little bit like, you know, where do you take the temperature? You know, True. Um, when he shoots Mike, I mean, that's him enjoying it for a second. So mm-hmm. I, I would say the, the challenge, if you're going to go D&D here, it depends on the name of your character. Is your character named Walter White or is your character named Heisenberg? Because they both have different subsets. Well, and even the name Heisenberg. Darren, do you want to, you're the science guy here. Do you want to explain what the Heisenberg uncertainty principle is? Yeah, it's a nature of uh, matter that you cannot both know the momentum and the position of a particle with absolute certainty at any given time. Right, you can know one or the other, but not both. Yeah. And it's such a brilliant fucking show. It really is. <laughs> Just the fact that they named that character after that principle is amazing. And that spread some good because now everyone knows what it means, right? That's right. But originally they wanted to call him Dr. Methenstein. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you didn't know. <laughs> Papa Smurf. Dr. Methenstein uh, was. The Please, doctor. Dr. Methenstein's Methenstein monster. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I think again, he's a complex character, well portrayed. You know, and this is another thing about the form. You've got a team of writers. You know, when we're talking about a lot of these characters that we've, you know, Cthulhu. That's one author. You know, we have a team of writers. We have an actor that's portraying them. So he has all of this intel that's going into creating this character. So of course he's going to be complex and and move around on the alignment. It's just a three dimensional character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right, super cool. So uh, we do a thing, which I don't even know. If we, I almost want to abstain from this segment. This almost feels sacrilegious, doesn't it? Right. The fan casting. So when we're talking about a character that's in fiction or in a book or something, we like to talk about who would be a great actor to play them. I do have an answer for this, though. I, for once, have prepared so that I can give you guys time to think about it. <laughs> who else could play Walter White? Hmm. I want to see, 20 years from now, uh, and, and to support this answer, I'm just going to remind you that John Cryer, of course, in the great film hmm. Superman Four. The Quest for Peace, <laughs> the nephew of Lex Luthor, but then came back on Supergirl to play Lex Luthor. In 20 years, I want to see Matt Jones <laughs> in the reboot play Walter I was going to say, John Cryer now is a pretty good. That's not a terrible idea. Okay, or John Cryer. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's a, a tough one. I don't know if it's even possible. Uh, Richard Jenkins. Now, <laughs> He's got a similar yeah, energy, now. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting, too, because he plays... He plays villains. He plays an assassin, I think, in uh, Absolute Power, which I just watched recently. Richard Jenkins. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to really get down to the casting of how things are done now, do you know who would probably be a pretty good Walter White? Meryl Streep. Oh, yeah. That would be cool. Walter White. What do you mean the way casting's done now, Matt? (laughs) If you're remaking something and you're making it with another (laughs) white guy, goodbye to your project. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well it is kind of weird to be like let's just make it with another white guy yeah why are you even yeah, making it, it in the first place no i think meryl streep would be great of course she'd be great doing anything yeah yeah she'd be great playing lex luther's nephew <laughs> i i disagree <laughs> well trump doesn't care for meryl streep i know he yes. said that she's overrated yeah. so <laughs> what, what would be the female walter waldra <laughs> walter? wendy wendy Wal- waltina Wilhelmina. Uh, Wilhelmina. Wilhelmina White. Wilhelmina. Wilhelmina. All right. 
our final segment, and this is this will be interesting. This might actually is, be pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. So we always like to pit the current week's villain against last week's villain in our title fight. So we've got Walter White versus from the pages of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Professor Moriarty. Who will win? This is one of our more evenly matched ones. You have a, a criminal genius versus a criminal genius. Yeah. You know, usually we end up with like a super powered alien versus average Joe. And it's well, too it turns easy. out, yeah, neither one of them ends up winning because every time you think one's dead, it turns out they're not dead. Is that basically <laughs> actually that's not out? necessarily true? Moriarty never came back, at least in the mm-hmm. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle stuff. They did like a prequel. He went and like wrote a story that took place before that, but he never really brought him back. Moriarty, though, criminal genius, and he has a network, and he's he is what Walter White kind of would like to be. Yeah, I, I he's more like, like what Gus is. I feel like Moriarty has more resources, definitely, definitely. and experience. He, it's not a series yeah. of screwball mishaps with Professor and an Moriarty. accent. <laughs> yes, mm. that makes him ten percent smarter. Yeah, um, but what does Walter have going for him? Because I because remember Walter did defeat Gus Fring. And that's what I was thinking in this matchup. Okay, well, if Gus is sort of the Moriarty of the series, Walter did beat Gus. Yeah, he is a little more scrappy than Moriarty. They're both science whizzes, actually. So they both kind of have, that's kind of a draw there. They both love intellectual conversation. They do. They both, they love they to both like are sit around and talk about how evil they are. Yeah, that's true. Walter's definitely given to the like bad guy explanation for how he did what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. why? I guess one way to look at this is why did Walter White beat Gus Fring? Well, because, because he Gus, aligned himself with yeah. uh, Gus's enemy, right? Who also would have been Walter's enemy. So he kind of put himself on the line and took a big risk there. And he also kind of double crossed him. Yeah, I'm trying to think why. So what's the advantage there that he was able to see oh. an angle that Gus couldn't see? He took his face off. <laughs> well, yeah, he was able to exploit Hector Salamanca's hate for Gus. And just convinced him to kamikaze Gus. I know. I understand what also, happened. Also, in terms but of the story. also, Gus took away Walt's control. Walt had no control over what he was doing anymore. Gus was calling the shots and would not let Walt give his opinion. Walt felt trapped. So he he didn't have another choice. He yeah. Walter's so good at finding the only way out. But this does remind me of another thing that Walter, just kind of a side thing that you see Walter do later in the series is putting other people at risk. Like when he when he calls his neighbor and asks her to check to see if their oven is on because he's afraid that like his house is going to blow up and sends her across the street. I don't remember that. Um, It's insane. You're like, you're like, you're afraid to go home because you think that some of Gus's guys are there and going to like blow up your house. And so you call your neighbor and send her over. So this is what I'm interpreting from your, what you're saying about him though, with regard to Gus, Walter is, he's willing to take these risks. He's like doing short-term thinking all the time, right? He's just putting out fires constantly and ultimately it leads to his death because it's going to, right? It's just getting worse and worse. And maybe that's the, in a weird way, an advantage in the short term, he's willing to take this crazy risk, do this thing that, that Moriarty won't see coming, you know, send a guy in a wheelchair with a bomb. It will ultimately hurt Walt in the long run. But for now, he wins. 
Because he but says, throw him I won, in a box that he that no one could have prepared to find a way out of, and he would be the one who could do it. Without and he always thinks he can. He always thinks it doesn't matter how bad it gets. Yeah. I'm smart enough. I'll figure it out. And maybe Moriarty has a level of like, no, I wouldn't do that. That's stupid. How would I ever get out of that? Like a level of self-preservation that Walt doesn't have or something like that. So maybe that would give him an advantage in this in this fight. I'm going to give it to Walt. I think Walt could do it because he's already kind of done it. Okay. Hmm. Then a winner is you. A winner is you. Um, I yeah, I guess that pretty much did. We already talked uh, about everything I wanted to talk about with regard to this character. Doug, is there anything you wanted to hit? No, I, I think we really hit all of the big milestones of the character and what makes him tick and and what made him so popular. Myth busted. Uh, uh, is there anything uh, we should know that you guys are? I know Darren's working on fatherhood. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, that's exciting. How, how close? Two months to go. Oh, a little boy. less than two months to go. So, um, getting ready for my life to get a lot easier. <laughs> um, more relaxing. Um, right? That's what I hear. Okay. A lot more sleep. Yeah. Matt, are you working right now under quarantine? Uh, I go back to work in two weeks. We're going, uh, we're doing season two and we're doing all these crazy protocols at Warner Brothers and it's going to be crazy and we'll hope we, hopefully we get to shoot the whole season. So, but and we this start is, This is Bob Loves Abishola. Yeah. Right, season two of that. Awesome. Very cool. And you know, there's a weird connection you have, Matt, with our next week's film. Doug really pushed me to do this. He really fought me to do this. We're doing uh, Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII. Oh, The wow. bad guy from Final Fantasy. And so Matt, you know, was you were in the, the remake, so. I was, yeah. Yeah, I, I would ask you about Sephiroth, but I guess you would just go like, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was really great. Thank you yeah, so much for having me. Thanks, guys. Uh, and uh, Doug, do we have any admin to do? Or uh, just a gone? little bit. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll let the guys go, and then we can uh, cover that. All right. So, uh, gentlemen, we are going to uh, push a guy in a wheelchair out towards you and blow him up. All right, bye, guys. Hey, thank you. I'm gonna right. adjust Thanks, my tie. <laughs> All right. Darren and Matt are gone. That was great. I really hope that his appearance on our show will be the much needed boost to his career that Matt needs. Yes. So I thought you meant Darren. <laughs> yeah, yeah to, Darren, to Darren's career as well. So well, anyone who comes on this show, they get the podcast, but evil bump. It's well That's documented. Right. Um, so yeah, just a little admin. I didn't, uh, we did have some really nice interactions with folks online, but none that would really work as like a, a, a review to read or a thought on the character we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, these are Twitter but, interactions you've had. Yeah, we've had some, but some very positive interactions with people listening to the show, and we really appreciate that. And if you have like kind of a more like thought you want to submit to be read, please send that to at Podcast But Evil. If you want to pump up the show, you can go on to Apple's ecosystem and give us a review there. Uh, that really helps. We appreciate that. And then uh, we should talk about what's coming up next. As you already mentioned, we've got Sephiroth online for uh, the next episode. And then we get into October and our Halloween stuff. Yes, we've got a, a season of frights planned here on Podcast <laughs> But Evil. Uh, yeah, Doug, I don't have it in front of me. Do you want to talk about what we're planning? Yeah, so we've, we've got, got some good Halloween fare in mind. Yeah, so our Halloween lineup starts off with a classic. We're going to do The Headless Horseman from The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. We're going to follow that up with uh, Dan's beloved <laughs> pick, which is The Crypt Keeper. My Sephiroth, The Crypt Keeper, the one that I put all my chips down on and saying we're doing. <laughs> yeah. We're doing The Crypt well, Keeper. 
eh, there's no governing body. We can do whatever we want. So we're doing those two. And then we're going to do Pennywise from it. So lots of heavy hitters coming to the show in October. I just want to remind you, too, if you don't feel like writing out a review, because I get it, maybe you don't, just go to Apple Podcasts and click a star for us. I would recommend Preferably the fifth one. The fifth one yeah, I would go with the fifth one. Whatever you feel like. I guess that's everything. Yeah. Gentlemen, too evil. Too evil. Clink. Clink. Hey, we're rolling, dude. Dude. You know, it's uh, Jesse Pinkman in the his house, and uh, I'm the lead singer, drummer, producer, chief songwriter, and this is a story of my band, Twat Hammer. Isn't it really our band? Just shut up, let me just do this.